You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. We are going to sing one song before the Lord's Supper. So you want to wait through one song and celebrate the Lord's Supper with us and go, that would be fine as well. I'm going to come and preach in just a moment. Jeremy, though, is going to read for us first from the Scriptures, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. For with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is God's word. Thank you, Jeremy. Keep a marker here in 2 Corinthians 4, but we're going to look first this morning in Acts chapter 1. But as we begin, I want to consider these verses. If we can get the slides. There it is. Psalm 127. Solomon, 
that wise man said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives, he gives to his beloved sleep. Father, I pray you'd help us now as we consider your word. Your word is a gift. It's a gracious revelation of yourself to us. We could stumble around as in the dark trying to figure out who you are and what you're like and what we are and how we are to relate to you and what you want from us and and what you have for us. We could stumble around wondering about all of those things, but instead you've made yourself known to us truly and authoritatively and sufficiently in your word, and in your son. And so, Father, I pray this morning you'd give us a heart to delight in your word as a means of delighting and knowing you. Help us to see the truth of it this morning and embrace it. I pray it would change us as individuals, as families, and as a church for your glory and for our eternal joy in you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, last week we began a new sermon series entitled Back to the Basics. Back to the Basics. The basics are the big things, the foundational things, the thing that we build our church and life and ministry upon. The basics are the big things. And they're also often, as we saw last week, the beginning things. They're the things that we learned at the beginning, the things we started with, but unfortunately, They also become often the bypass things, things we move on from or forget about and and press on into other things, and we forget those basic big things that are foundational to who we are and what we are as a church. Last week, we considered in the first message in this series, uh, gospel message. Our main thing is our main message. The good news of a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen again for sinners. That sinners like you and I might find through faith in Him eternal life. That's our main message, and our main message is our main thing. It is the most basic thing to who we are and what we are as a church. We were right here in Acts chapter 1 last week, and we considered in verse 8 Jesus' instructions as He prepared to return to heaven and to His Father. In verse 8, He said, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will share. You will tell what you've seen and what you've heard. You will pass it on here in the surrounding area and indeed ultimately to the very ends of the earth. But if we look back a few verses... Look back at verse 3, Acts chapter 1. Jesus, after he rises from the dead, he, it says in verse 3, presented himself alive to them, that's his disciples, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus is preparing to return to heaven, and his instructions to his disciples, these men who will become the apostles, is not, all right, go, go get out and go do something. Start working, get at it. His instruction to them is, 
wait. Wait. We might expect him to say, there's no time to lose. The job is huge. Get at it. And he says, no, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait, we see in verse 8, for power. What is this promise of power? Turn back just a few pages. This is the beginning of Acts. Turn back a few pages into the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. Going back in time, this is maybe six weeks previous. It's the night before Jesus is to be crucified, and he's in the upper room. He's shared the Last Supper with his disciples. He's speaking to them, teaching them. They're worried. They're concerned. They sense something big is about to happen. He's trying to comfort them and instruct them. He spends several chapters on this. I want to pick up just one part in John 14 and verse 18. They're worried. He's just told them, I'm going to go somewhere. You can't go with me. Right? He says to them in John 14, 18, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, the world will see me no more, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day, you'll know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. That's remarkable. I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? They, they know he's going away, but he says he's coming back and I'm going to make myself manifest. I'm going to show myself to you. And they say, how, how are you going to show yourself to us but not to everybody else? Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus says, look, those who love me and follow me and embrace my word, who I am and what I've come for, he says, my father will love that person. He said, my father and I, we will come and we will make our home with that person. Whatever that is, it must be remarkable. It must be remarkable that, that God's people, those who love and trust Jesus, find that God the Father and God the Son come to them together and dwell in them right here with us. Jesus, if we were to go on and read the rest of this, Jesus would say, it's better for me to go, right? Because I'm here now and I can talk to you, but sometimes I go here and you go over there and we're not together, but when I go and I'm going to send the comfort, then I'll be with you all the time. How does the Father and the Son make their home with someone? By the Spirit. And so when Jesus is preparing to leave in the passage we just read in Acts 1, he says, wait here. Wait for the promise. Wait for the coming of the Spirit. And if we look ahead in Acts chapter 2, the first couple verses, some days later when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's the disciples. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. and It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They wait, and God sends the Spirit, the Spirit of the Father and Son, to, to dwell in them, and He comes in power. 
And they begin to speak in and display power. And as we keep reading Acts, we'd see the church explodes and takes off as the power of God works through them. Here's what we want to see this morning. God's work can only be done in God's power. God's work can only be done in God's power. That seems so simple and so obvious and so basic. And yet we live as though this weren't true all the time. We constantly rely on our power. Or we despair over our lack of power. Or we fail to move forward because we doubt the power and abilities there. But God's work can only be done in God's power. Yet we lose sight of this all the time. That's not new. It's not new. It's always been this way. Let me give you just a couple examples. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. Think back in the Old Testament to Genesis chapter 9, or Genesis 10 rather, and the Tower of Babel. You remember the story of the Tower of Babel? God has sent a flood, the earth has been destroyed, and as people begin to populate again, they begin to get concerned. They gather together in a place and they begin to build a tower. They want to reach to the heavens, they want to reach to the God. And they say, let's build a tower, and what's their purpose? So we can make a name for ourselves. Let's build something, something big, something impressive, something that'll take us to the very realm of the divine. That'll be something. That'll be an achievement. And then we'll make a name for ourselves. I wonder how much of our work and our ministry is motivated by a desire to make a name for ourselves. Now, we would never be so crass as to say that. And I doubt we ever really even think in those terms explicitly. And yet, the desire we have to make a name for ourselves is strong. We don't want to be forgotten, we want to be esteemed, we want to be respected. Now, that, that could be true in the church. It could be true in, in our personal lives and our families. Right? How much of our, our ministry and our family is a desire? Oh, we'd never say it this way. But to make a name for ourselves. Oh, we want to be the family that everyone admires. Look how well their kids behave. Look how good these two kids in the front row right here are. Look at that. Who are, the, who are their parents? Whew. Yeah. Right? We would never say it. And we don't think in those terms. We don't say it even to ourselves. But, oh, but we, we want to be, be the family that people esteem. Look how well my kids are doing. Or look at, look at the marriage we have. Look at the, you know, we should be doing marriage conferences. Look what a wonderful example... Even if we don't think we have it, we, we want it. We want to, well, we would never say make a name for ourselves, but we'd like to be esteemed for those things. That's a deep motivation that we don't say, but it's there. Let me give you another example. God's work outside of God's power. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 8, the gospel's beginning to spread, and Philip, one of these apostles, <coughs> travels to Samaria, 
and he travels there to, to preach the gospel. People start to believe, and one of the people that believes is a man named Simon the Magician, and he's widely esteemed and widely respected for his power. He does this some kind of magic, and you don't really know if it's sleight of hand or if it's some kind of supernatural power he's tapped into, but he's prominent. Well, then the disciples come, and they begin to proclaim the gospel and, and with acts and, and works of power, and people start to flock to them and believe it, and even Simon starts to follow. And, and the apostles, James and John, leaders of the church, or Peter and John, rather, come up from Jerusalem to Samaria, and they begin to lay their hands on people, and they begin to receive the Holy Spirit with displays of power and authority. And Simon, who used to be famous, says, wow, that's remarkable. And he goes to them and says, I'll pay you to give me that power. I'll pay you so that if I touch people, they receive the Holy Spirit too. And Peter and John don't say, hey, great, the more the merrier. How much do you have? He says, no, 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 no. I can see that you're in the thralls of bitterness and wickedness. You think you can buy the gift of God for money? What does Simon want? Well, he wants the esteem. He wants a name for himself. But he wants to buy it so he can own it, so he can control it. I give out the Spirit. And whether he intends to charge for it or just be esteemed for it or just to regain, resume his place of authority and esteem, he says, I'll pay for it. And the apostles say, no way. No way. You're in the throes of, of wickedness and bitterness. Because we, we want to make a name for ourselves. We saw that in Genesis 9. But we also want to be in control. I want to do it. I want to accomplish it. I want to control. I, I'm a parent in my family. I, wa I want to be in control of what's up with my kids. I want them to do what I want. I want them to turn out the way I want them to turn out. I'm in my marriage. I want to be in control. I want things to go my way. I'm in my work. I'm in my life generally. I'm in my church, right? I want to control things. I want to direct them and guide them, make them go my way according to my plans, my will, my priorities. And in the end, what we have is the sense that perhaps we could buy or perhaps we could build. The build is I'm doing the work. I'm achieving it, I'm accomplishing it, I'll make a name for myself. The buying is, I possess it, I control it, it belongs to me. But the work we want to see happen in our church, in our marriages, in our families, in our own hearts, you can't buy it and you can't build it. You can't make it happen by an exertion of your will, your discipline, your effort, your energy. You can't make it happen. Because God's work requires God's power. And you can't buy it. You can't throw resources at it so that you own it and control it and it operates at your whim and under your control. That's not how God works. You can't buy it, and you can't build it. God's work can only be done in God's power. Well, what does it look like when we're relying on our power? What would that look like? How would we know? 
We are tempted to this. We're inclined to this. It's always there in our individual lives, in our families, in our church. We're inclined to do it in our power. What would it look like? Turn back to 2 Corinthians 4, where we started. Jeremy read there earlier today. In 2 Corinthians 3, earlier in the previous chapter, Paul will begin to compare the old covenant, the law given at Mount Sinai, the law that said, work, do this, this is what you must do, accomplish this to be right with God. He begins to compare that with the new covenant that's come with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And he says in 2 Corinthians, back in chapter 3, verse 4, he says, such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he'll go on, I won't reread all of this, but he'll go on to compare that old covenant with the new covenant. And he goes back and tells the story that we see in Exodus 34. Moses, after the, um, receive, you recall, he receives the Ten Commandments, he comes down the mountain, sees that the children of Israel have built a golden calf, they're running around like idol worshipers, just terrible, right? He smashes the tablets, deals with all of that. He, God calls him back up the mountain, he Take some new stones that God's going to rewrite the law. And as he goes up there, Moses says to him, Lord, I, I, I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. And God shows him something of his glory. Puts him in the cleft of the rock, lets him see his back and his shoulder as he passes by. Proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, all of this. Then he rewrites the Ten Commandments. Moses is up there in God's presence on the mountain for 40 days. When it's done, he's got the law on the tablets again. God has spoken to him and taught him. Moses comes down the mountain, and when he gets down, his face is just radiant. It just glows with this radiance from being in God's presence for so long. And the people can't stand it. They're terrified by it. God's glory is radiant before them. And so Moses wears a veil. In fact, in an ongoing way, there's a, a little tent of meeting outside the camp that Moses would go to to meet with God. And every time he came back out of the tent of meeting, his face is radiant with glory. He, Moses is God's minister, ministers to the people on God's behalf. And Paul's going to make an argument here. We're not going to take time to read all the way through it, but he says, hey, listen, that old covenant, that law, is passing away. Now we have a new covenant with Jesus. And he says, look, if if that old covenant left the face of the minister that radiant and that glorious, if that ministry was that glorious, how much more glorious must be the ministry of the new covenant under Jesus Christ? How much more glorious that must be, right? He says they still, he says Israel still has, the unbelieving Jews in his day, they still have a veil over their faces. They don't see the glory of God in Christ. But look at verse 18. There's so much here. We don't have time to go through it all, but look at verse 18. Chapter 3. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. And that glory, he means the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is a remarkable thing. He's saying, look, we're beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, and we are being changed into the image. 
We are, as we behold the glory of Christ, we're becoming like the glory of Christ. We're becoming like him. It's a remarkable transfer, transformation. You know, the old covenant and the law, they were compelled to obey, but they couldn't obey. They didn't have the power to do it. But now Christ has come, new covenant, he's written the law in their hearts. Now you can obey, the spirit has been given. But look what he says in this last sentence. Well, look what he says of this transformation. For this comes from who? It comes from, what does it say? The Lord, who is the Spirit. There is this massive transformation taking place in every true follower of Christ. As they behold the glory of Christ, they get changed into the image of Christ. And this comes from where? The Lord. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. You can't build it, and you can't buy it. It comes from the Lord. So, what does it look like when instead of relying on the Lord and his power, looking to him for this, what does it look like when we rely on ourselves? Well, that's what he's going to say in the next chapter. Look at verse 1. He says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. Relying on ourselves looks like giving up. Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. We see the glory of God in Christ. We see how far we are from that. How much further we still have to go. And as we rely on our own power, we may tend to just want to give up. It's too hard. The journey's too long. I've got so far to go. And if we look at our lives honestly, it's true. We have so far to go in being changed into the image of Christ. In fact, it is a lifelong journey. You will not get there in this life. And some of us perhaps will say, I'm going to work and I'm going to do it and I'll go, go, go. But, but some of us may be inclined to just to give up. We just lose heart. It's too much. It's too hard. My progress is too slow. I don't think we're going to make it. Here's the second thing we do when we rely on our own power. We start cutting corners. Look at verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 4. Paul says, But we, we've renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. See, there are other apostles, not, not real apostles, but pseudo-apostles, other ministers, other teachers going around. We saw the beginning of 1 Corinthians last week. I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, I follow... There's these other teachers going around, and they use techniques, manipulative techniques, to get people to make the decisions they want them to make, or to, to gain an audience or gain an entrance into community and then gain is one of the issues in 2 Corinthians, then they try to gain financial support because Paul will say later on, we've not done that. We haven't asked for anything from you. Paul says, we, we don't cut corners. We don't tamper with the word. Oh, I don't think this crowd would like to hear this message. It would be a message that would make them like me. I think we'll talk about that. You think about it in our day and age. Think about how many ministers, so-called ministers of Christ, Peddle Christ by saying, if you follow him, he will make you rich, he'll make you healthy, 
Your marriage will be exemplary. All you have to do is donate to my ministry. And it, there's, it's everywhere. And if we're relying on something other than God's power, relying on ourselves, we'll cut corners too. What seems to work? What seems easiest? What keeps us most popular? What brings in the most support? What seems in the short term to be most effective? If we're relying on our own power, we may give up. We may just cut corners. Paul says we don't do that. But he says by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says we just speak the truth. Well, he speaks it in love, of course, Ephesians chapter 4. But we just, we just openly declare the truth. We just say what's true. Nothing cunning, nothing devious, nothing manipulative. We're not relying on our techniques. God's work can only be done in God's power. When we rely on ourselves, we begin to cut corners. Here's another thing that happens when we rely on ourselves. We start expecting it to be easy. We just expect it to be easy. Look in verse 7. He says, we have this treasure this message, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. So we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. And he'll go on and on about how much they suffer in ministry. Why? Right? Why do we have this treasure? In jars of clay, he means feeble bodies, right? From dust we're born, from dust we return. We're just jars of clay. And that's the message we've been given in, in, in lives that can be hurt and difficult and challenging and painful. Why? To show that the power belongs to God and not to us. God delights to use fragile, needy, dependent workers. There was a song back when I was in high school and college. Some of you may remember it. Uh, recorded by, most famously, I think, by the Gaither Vocal Band about God just needs a few good men. You know, and he goes on to describe all these characters, and it's a pretty good song. But the truth is what God needs is dependent, humble people who rely on him. It just, we get all sorts of examples. But think of the ministry that someone like Johnny Erickson Tata has had for 50 years. Paralyzed in a wheelchair, right? From an earthly perspective, no power. Massive influence. God's power. We expect it to be easy. We want it to be easy. And if we're relying on ourselves, when it gets hard, we'll say, I'm sure it's worth it. This isn't working, right? This isn't working. Look how hard it is. The Apostle Paul would say, it's always been hard for me, and it always will be hard for me. We want, I want, I don't know about you, but I want, I'm always trying to like, it's like we're climbing a hill, right? And I just, eventually we're going to get to the top, right? And we're going to cruise, right? It's gonna, everything's going to flatten out. It's going to be easy. Everything, we're just, we just got to get past this hard point. And I think Paul would tell us, no, it's always hard. It's a spiritual battle. And we have an enemy. If we're relying on ourselves, we'll expect it to be easy. We'll be tempted to bail when it gets hard. Here's the last thing we'll do. Relying on ourselves looks like taking the credit. Look down at verse 18. Paul says of his, or 15 rather, Paul says of his struggles, for it's all for your sake. So as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving. Paul says all the suffering 
is for you. So that the grace, God's good news message of eternal salvation in Christ goes to more and more people and they're thankful to the glory of God. Paul says, I work and work and work and I struggle and I struggle and I struggle and grace extends through the gospel to more and more people and the one who gets the glory is God. But relying on ourselves looks like taking the credit. Maybe publicly, maybe. Maybe you're the kind of person who's always reminding everyone of what wonderful work you've done and how effective your accomplishments are. That's not going to be most of us. But maybe. But I tell you where it does happen, right here. Not publicly, but privately. We long for credit. We long to be esteemed and recognized for what we've done. That's just in us. Oh, sure, we want God to get the glory, but we'd, we'd like some of the glory too. We'd never say that, but it's in there. But we rely on ourselves. We, we long for some credit that ought to go only to God because God's work can only be done in God's power. Well, what is it that we can do? This is what we shouldn't do. We shouldn't give up. We shouldn't cut corners. We shouldn't expect it to easy. We certainly shouldn't take the credit. We can't buy it or build it ourselves. What can we do? Look back in Acts chapter 4 quickly as we finish this morning. Acts chapter 4. <coughs> the apostles have been arrested. Um, they appear before the council. The council it questions them. They want to punish him, but they can't because the people are so supportive of the apostles' work. And finally, they release him after commanding him, don't talk about God anymore. And the apostles say, should we obey you or should we obey God? And so they go back and they gather together in Acts 4, verse 24. When they heard it, the apostles' report, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of God, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What can we do? We can speak the truth boldly. And we can pray. That's what relying on God's power looks like. Clear proclamation of the truth, empowered by God's Spirit in prayer. Prayer is the reflex, the go-to action for a person who is relying on God's power. The person who prays says, I know I can't do it. I can't build it. I can't buy it. 
only God can do it. And so we pray. Listen, we, we need to be a church marked by clear proclamation of the truth, powered and buttressed by humble, dependent prayer. It is basic and foundational to who we are. We can't do what God has called us to do. But he can. And so we must ask him to do it. And that's true in our church. It's true in your home. It's true in your personal life. You can't buy it and you can't build it. Only God can do it. And so we must look to his power. If we don't, we're in trouble. In the next chapter, Acts chapter 5, I won't take time to read the passage, but uh, the, the apostles will get arrested again and the, the Jewish leaders will pull them in and they'll uh, talk about, you know, why are you, why are you still doing this, preaching in the name of Jesus, and they want to punish him severely. And one of the leaders, Gamaliel, one of the leaders highly respected in the Jewish council says, hey, look, you remember that one guy who led a bunch of people out in the wilderness some time ago and there's like 400 men and eventually they all got killed and that's all done. And then there was that other guy. Remember, he did a similar sort of thing, and they raised this whole big fuss, but then they all kind of got died and dispersed, and they all kind of got died. That's my four-year-old language. They all kind of got died. Um, they got died, and then they were all dispersed, and uh, nothing came of it, he said. Now look, he said to them, if, if what's going on here with these guys is from the Lord, if it's not from the Lord, it's not going to last. It'll just be like these other movements. They'll all get died, and they'll go away, right? He says, but if it is from the Lord, you can't stop it, and you'll be found opposing God. Listen, what we work on together here as a church, if it's from the Lord, it can't be stopped. It will be opposed. It won't be easy. But we're not going to cut corners. We're going to proclaim the truth clearly. We're not going to give up. We're not going to expect it to be easy. We're not going to try to do it in such a way that we get the credit. Because if the Lord does it, it can't be stopped. That's the kind of thing I want to be a part of. I want to give my life to that kind of effort. I want that kind of church for us. We see God is doing this, and we know God is doing this because we're not looking for the credit, and we're not trying to build in our own power. We're not trying to control people or manipulate them to make it happen. We are speaking the truth clearly. We are calling down power in a humble, dependent prayer, and God is doing it. And no matter how much opposition we face, no matter how slow the progress may be, we know that it can't be stopped because God is in it. That's the kind of church I want. You know what? That's the kind of family I want, too. The kind of family you want? It's not going to be easy. The progress is always going to be slower than we want it to be. In our family, in our marriage, in our own personal lives, it's always going to be slower than we want it to be. It's always going to be hard. It'll never be easy, but we want to know that God is in it as we call on power from him. We can't do it ourselves. We aren't able to do what God has called us to do, but he is. My favorite Christian camp in the world is a camp called Camp Barakel. Many of you have been there. And the name of Camp Barakel, Barakel itself, is a word that means where God is blessed. 
you read the story of Camp Barrico, you see lots of work, lots of volunteers, lots of people who have given. You see a founder, Uncle Johnny, who gave his life in amazing ways, but mostly what you see is a man and people who prayed and looked to God to accomplish what they never could have accomplished on them by themselves. But that's what we need to be. That's what we need to do. We want Springview to be a place that God has blessed, a place where God is working. It won't be that way because we work hard, although we must work hard. It won't be that way because we try to control people. We can't control people. We can't hardly control ourselves. It will be that way because we call down, humbly and dependently, call down power from God in prayer, and he accomplishes what only he can. Back to the basics means back to gospel power. Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us to know just how much help we need. We need you for everything, for our next breath, for the, the sustaining of the universe that, that our solar system even holds together is because of the word of your power. We rely on you for absolutely everything. And yet we're often blind to it. We think we are. We want to be self-sufficient. We want to do it ourselves. We want to build a name for ourselves. As though we could even do that. We want to, to buy, control the authority we need. To own it and possess it and wield it at our will. And, and we can't do that either. And so, Lord, I pray you would make us a church, make us a people, make us families that are looking to you and to your power to accomplish what we cannot accomplish. I pray that we would honor you by relying on you, that we would glorify you by depending on you. Lord, we will need much grace for this. Grace to endure when it's hard. Grace to be patient and wait when the progress is slower than we like. But I pray that you would do this work to magnify your name. Grow us in our need for, our recognition of our dependence on you. I pray that we would be a church characterized by real power because we're looking to you. I pray that you do this for your glory. In Jesus' name.